first time a man that I've known for a long time he was once a member with me and we used to podcasting softly from a distance after there he went to variety ended up producing the movie out of exile he's a dedicated family man and often sought after script consultant and one of the most fanatic Tony Scott fans of my acquaintance he is the one and only Nick Clement welcome to Thank you uh, very much, Kent, for uh, having me on and uh, the, mo- the most generous introduction. Thank you very much, my friend. It's uh, It seems like it's been a long time coming. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, mean, I had the pleasure of getting a chance to meet you, um, you know, through Facebook. Um, you know, I'm trying to remember who it was through exactly, um, but I, you know, I, I've had the chance to read some of your scripts, um, you know, and do some notes with you. And, um, I know you love movies and you're, you're, you're always coming at everything from a, a great love for, for cinema. And, uh, you know, you've written some, you've written some really cool scripts and you've become a writer, uh, you know, on your own with some, uh, with some credits and, um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited. It's, you know, it's, you know, I, I how long have we known each other on Facebook for at least five years? Oh, gee. Um, um, I think it was 2016 I started talking to Nate. Oh, there you go. Okay, so that's seven years yeah. ago. And and uh, he was I, – I used to read uh, his reviews and, and listen to uh, listen to you and Frank uh, when you first started. And I think I, I asked him, him already being a, uh, a member, and then he said uh, <clears throat> he had to run it past you guys, and you guys didn't have a problem with it, so away we went. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, it's it's awesome to to connect with people all over the world. I, you know, I, I, I mean, I only use Facebook. I'm not on all social media channels. I can't keep up with anything more than just Facebook. And yeah. um, um, I have to say that the 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 level of excitement and and passion that you see from movie buffs through Facebook is really fun and inspiring and. Um, I'd be lying if I said that I wouldn't have seen probably half the movies I've seen over the last 10 years, if it weren't for the recommendations of people online, truly opened my eyes to a lot of different films, a lot of different filmmakers from different years and genres. So, um, I, I think that that's, uh, I think that's one of the best things that probably social media can bring you these days, considering how toxic it can be on so many other levels. Um, I just, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the whole process. Yeah, no, it's um, as you say, it's it's been uh, it's really great to hook up with uh, with like-minded people uh, who especially just love uh, cinema for the sake of of loving it and not uh, get to that point where uh, you're picking it to pieces just for the sake of picking it to pieces, right? For sure, for sure, and you know, again, to see someone like you, where you know, I when I first met you, I read some specs by you, and now you've had some movies get made in your own right hmm. what's it what's it been like for you as a especially right now considering that we're in the middle of a strike a writer's strike which i guess they had some decent progression on last night so maybe we'll see if there's anything that good comes of it i you know i, I remain skeptical on all this stuff because there's so much there's so many levels to it and there's so much money at stake and rich people don't ever want to give away their money um 
Well, for you as a writer, what do you think about the industry right now, given that you are just blossoming as a screenwriter and, and, and now you're dealing with this? Is it, is it? Well, I mean, for, for me, my, my entree, if you will, into, uh, into the professional side of, of the business has been uh, a rocky one. Uh, because I mean, when you don't, when you don't have any, and and you'll appreciate this because you've helped out other people in the same capacity. When you don't have uh, any contacts, if you will, in Hollywood, it's very hard to get anything read by anybody. And uh, and networking is 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 fun and fine, and it's easy to hook up with people. But it uh, when you get over that hump and into the next level and the different levels of the business, you realize that, yes, there is a big market for spec scripts and, and you can win the lotto that way. I've had friends do it and, and sell their scripts through different uh, avenues, one being the ink tip, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with. Yeah, oh, yeah. And um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I thought I thought that was a bit of a, a lottery grab too until I actually met someone who, successfully went that way but the thing is nick i think with uh, the film business probably the best analogy i ever heard was the fact that it's probably a bit like it's a glass wall and it's mercurial uh, a little bit like the mirror that keanu reeves steps through in the matrix and there are these tiny little hairline cracks that open up and if you're lucky you, we're like blind people with their hands up against this wall trying to feel for these cracks and you feel a little crack and boom, and you boom, you're straight through. But no two people get through the same crack because of the nature of the business being mercurial and, and whatever else. And also Yeah, that's a great analogy. That's a good good very good point. Yeah, and it's a lot of luck too. I mean, uh, the film business as I have discovered <laughs> Is it's totally, luck, and, luck and financing. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's luck, money, uh, what the distributor wants, and uh, and being being the right person in the right place at the right time. Now, uh, I did an interview while on podcasting softly with uh, Bill Marsili, who co-wrote Deja Vu. Oh yeah, directed by Tony Scott, and uh, as you well know. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> And he said that, you know, a lot of people um, attribute the film business to success in it to be the equivalent of being struck by lightning. And the best advice he gave me in that interview and to anyone else who listened to it was uh, if you want to be struck by lightning, you've got to kind of put yourself where the lightning strikes, put yourself in a position to... Uh, be able to take advantage of, of certain opportunities when they come your way. I mean, for the case of a screenwriter, getting back to your question, you have to be – it's very easy to put yourself in a position to be able to receive work. But if you haven't been doing your homework leading up to that, you're not going to be ready when that opportunity really taps you on the shoulder and says – how fast can you write a screenplay? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that, um, I mean, you never know. Uh, I would have to assume that with, 
you know, recent box office performance around the world of late on, especially through this summer mm. and how, how certain movies performed and now with a dual strike, yeah. my, my thinking is that I don't necessarily know if more cracks will begin to show themselves more readily in order for people to, to get, you know, to, to sneak in. But I think that there will be a desire for more original content from newer voices. Sure. Uh, you know, I, um, you know, I, the, the, the strike is so far ranging. It's so, uh, it, it hits so many different tiers of people working. You know, I, I, I don't think that, I don't think there's anybody working in the industry, in the film industry, television industry, on any level who hasn't really been impacted in some way, mostly for the negative, I would have to say. There's probably been some, sure, there's been some people who have been impacted positively. Um, but I think that it will open up a new avenue for some folks who may not have otherwise have had a chance. I think that, I think that you're going to have a lot of dis, I think you're going to have some disillusioned writers. I think that you're going to have some people who are going to find it hard to go back to work for some of these people that have iced them out. And I think that some of the people who iced them out are going to be bitter towards the people that went on strike. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. This is, I, I sit in Connecticut, you know, my home office, I don't live in Beverly Hills. I have no, I, you know, I've no, I'm not a foot soldier out there. So I have no clue. I've done everything I have done basically from the comfort of my own home. So yeah. Um, I, um, I don't really know. These are just my guesses, yeah. uh, but, um, and, 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 and knowing what I know about independent movies and how they get made, or at least how I got one made and, and, and I'm now about to embark on making another one in, a, in about three months. Um, you know, it, it's all about money. It's all about finding people who have money in order to get your thing done. Notice how all the things that you ran through before, all these steps to getting a movie made, not once did you say that you have to have an amazing script. It helps. <laughs> but that's the, that's about, the sad reality. That's the sad when I when I finally got in, that was the that was the reality that kind of in a little bit in a in a small way, for a writer specifically, kind of breaks your heart because you've been sort of at it so long in the dark hours while everyone sleeps trying to write the great original screenplay that's just and you've been and sorry to interrupt and people have put in your head you, you know the great scripts will be found great scripts will get no you know what i mean so you have that you have that old that old mentality running through you go ahead sure yeah but no as you yeah but like you were saying i mean it's um that particular ideal uh kind of I think I think it I think it got lost I think it's I'm not going to say it's on the verge of being rediscovered but I think in order for things to truly change it's going to take uh someone from this independent uh filmmaking world that we're both a part of now to come along with like it's going to be cliche but to make the next easy rider and and change the game again wouldn't you say, or like Coppola's, you know, it's going to be some little girl with her father's camcorder on a farm somewhere becomes the next Mozart. Completely. Completely. I think the world, like, you know, I think, you know, I'm 43. Um, so, you know, for me, I personally think that a movie like Pulp Fiction, for instance, 
that changed for, for in my lifetime. You know, yeah. I was 14. I was 14 when Pulp Fiction came out. Right. Um, made a humongous. I saw it in the theater with my parents. It made a just a, a, the impact that movie made on on me as a 14 year old budding movie buff, and so many other teenagers and early 20s film, you know, emerging filmmakers and and yeah. cinema buffs. That to me is an is a is the defining movie of my lifetime. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, and I think that that's the movie that changed, like you said, if you're, you know, we don't know what the next movie is that will change the paradigm or change the dynamic, but sure. that movie created a sub genre, if you will. Yeah. And, and attracted so many imitators and followers and fans and, and it, and it changed the way that studios saw independent quote unquote filmmaking and the power of the original story, you know, at a time that was still relatively being dominated by studio movies and sort of like the last run of that eighties action movie, which then morphed in the nineties into something new. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we've just gone through this entire marvelization of movies since 2008, sure, yeah. you know, and, and many, and in my opinion, you know, 2007, mm. if you go back and look at the movies from 2007 that came out, Mm. No Country for All Men, There Will Be Blood, Michael Clayton, Jesse James. Yeah. You know, you know there's, there's so there's so many films. And that, that's just Diving Bell. Um, yeah. I keep going on and on. Um, you know, Sidney Lumet's film, um, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. I think yeah. that was what it was. Um, I feel so bad. That's like a freaking foreign language nowadays. Like, try getting any of those movies through a studio process and you'd be lucky to get one or two of those movies that I just rattled off. And, you know, I think that people are, I do believe in superhero fatigue. I think that it has been seen in the grosses of numerous recent offerings. Um, you know, Mar the once invincible Marvel seemingly has taken some shots. Yeah. Uh, and I think that audiences are now sort of, okay, we, we did that. You know, we spent 15 years, doing that so yeah. now what's what's new hmm. uh and, and let me like the success did did you see regardless of what you personally feel about the films you know i mean we can talk about it what you thought of both of them or whatever or what you didn't think of them but did you see barbie and oppenheimer in a theater did you submit to the bar and i don't i don't mean on the same day but right. did you submit to barbenheimer i have i have submitted to barbenheimer um okay cool and i have to say well out, out of the two i enjoyed I mean, Oppenheimer floored me, absolutely. It's the first time since, uh, oh, geez, a long time. I can't remember the exact film back. The last film where I honestly sat sort of dumbfounded at the end, mm. like, I'd, like I'd eaten an enormous meal and, uh, and now sort of sat, you know, dumbfounded. I think I think maybe the last time I felt honestly that way was when I saw Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet um, mm. in the cinema, uh, which was also made on seventy millimeter back in that time. And, yeah, uh, and that's but did, did you did you get a chance to see that in seventy millimeter Hamlet? Because I I did. My father took me to see it. Yes. And said, yeah. Oh great. Oh wow. Okay. Very I, cool. So yeah, I have very fond memories of um, going to see it. I was actually the only one in the cinema that day, so I actually saw. Oh wow. Even better, but uh, yeah, because four hours worth of Shakespeare isn't everyone's cup of tea. But it is a yep. 
sumptuous experience uh, to drinking. It's crazy to me. When, I'm just going to look that up while we're talking. When did that movie come out? Oh my God! So I, we were. I was. I was 16 when my dad took me to see that on the big yeah. and 70 millimeter. Wow. Okay. Uh, Damn. I was. Uh... So you saw. So you saw both films. So so what I'm getting at is that that was that was an event. That was. Yeah. I'm not saying that those movies changed cinema, no. but they changed. They changed the post pandemic. Yeah. Or, or 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 I don't even know if it's I don't even know I don't get I don't actually I shouldn't say post pandemic we're still all living through an endemic pandemic now um, <laughs> you know it, where it's never going away and COVID has certainly changed the the attitudes and the behaviors of the cinema going public but sure. those two movies you know and to a lesser extent Top Gun Maverick and you had Spider Man No Way Home yeah. those you know those films this summer if you took those two movies out of the equation yeah. This summer loses two and a half billion dollars worth of movies. Sure, worth ticket sales, and I cannot believe yeah. that Oppenheimer has made close to a billion dollars worldwide in ticket sales. Yeah. I, I think that right now, as of this podcast, it's probably up to like nine fifteen, nine hundred fifteen million worldwide, right? Which yeah. would be nine hundred twenty, which is just—it's yeah. mind—it's mind-boggling for a film that's three hours of talking. Yeah. And and it is. I mean, and it's and it's Christopher Nolan's sort of JFK. Um, oh, absolutely, totally, where, yeah, totally. Where 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 the Dark Knight was his heat. Um, Oppenheimer is certainly his JFK, and it's um, it was absolutely staggering. I bought the. It, it's it's the first movie in a long time that I went to see, and I, I went out afterwards and bought the uh, the screenplay because I was so interested when I yeah. read. That uh, he had written parts of the screenplay in the first person, and so uh, I went. And, ha- and I haven't read it. How does that translate on the page? What's what kind of a reading experience it, is that? Look, like? it reads. It reads really. It reads really good. Of course, the whole script isn't that because as he intercuts between, you know, historical yeah. moments, as you see, it switches from first person to third person. Um, but when it's when it's the scenes that you know, are from Oppenheimer's point of view, say, for instance, the scene when uh, Strauss, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is uh, with him in the room and they're looking out through the window and Einstein is out in the distance over by the lake and they're watching him from the distance. Um, scenes like that are written in the, in the first person. So it says, I walk across the room and out through the window, I see an old man. I see an old man wearing a hat, and as the wind blows, his silvery hair spills out. Well, that would be a lot of fun to read. I mean, like I read, you know, I read scripts all day for a living, sure. and um, I never, I've never read a script like that. I mean, like yeah. no one would ever dare to write. A, of course, no one would ever dare to write a spec script like that unless they were just having some fun. All sure. these spec, you know, all these spec scripts I read are people, of course, trying to get them sold or set up, find attachments. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would love to read that. That'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, 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 should, I shouldn't plug Faber. They, they've got enough. They've got enough people to do advertising for them. But it, it is available right now. The complete screenplay of Faber, uh, and and you can get it uh, from from most good bookstores, I guess. Or I buy a lot of those scripts, Nick. Though I've got you know a ton of those published scripts like Shawshank and and Network and um you know well that's how i mean i mean listen people people want to know you know and again um 
uh, you know, not to, not to slide the topic too fast, but, um, you know, that's why your scripts, you know, you probably are as solid as they are because you've understood what good writing is. There's so many people that want to write and they don't understand the brass tacks, the fundamentals. And the, the, the biggest piece of advice would be just to sit down and read Shawshank Redemption or read yeah. Network or read No Country for Old Men or any of these, uh, you know, impeccably crafted screenplays where they where you where it's a free film school. I mean, y- you know, if you uh, if you studied those types of things on your own, yes, you'd be a quarter of the way there to understanding one of the big at you know tenants of filmmaking right um so uh you know but to but to jump back to uh oppenheimer um i agree i mean i you know i i we have an eight an almost eight-year-old son so when my wife and i saw oppenheimer in the theater it was the first time in a really long time i don't know how long Mm -hmm. but it was the first time that we went to see a movie together um, we had a baby, you know, my parents watched, uh, you know, my, I'm trying to remember who watched him, but we had somebody watching him and uh, we, we went to the movies and we were like, wow, like this is the first time that we've been to the theater with, without our kid. And, um, you know, and it was funny just because, and, and of course I have, you know, we have the eight year old who really wanted to see Oppenheimer. Like he, you know, we, we saw every film over the course of, you know, April to August Yes, and every time he went to the movies, we saw the trailer for Oppenheimer. So he had it in his head that oh, I'm going to see this movie, and it looks great, and it looks like this big thing, right? And um, when it came out and it was ready to R, you know, mm-hmm. I don't have, you know, I, we're just starting to to crack the R-rated movie, uh, uh, you know, ranks. We're mm-hmm. just starting to get in there. Um, I just showed him Speed, and I showed him Mad Max Fury Road, and I showed him Army of Darkness, which is ridiculous that Army of Darkness is rated R, but that's another story. Um, All good Everything boy needs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was the first one. I, I let him see Army of Darkness a while back, when, like I like I think even a year ago, because I was like, "There's no reason this movie to be rated R. There's nothing in this movie. Like, it's ridiculous." But um, but uh, Oppenheimer got rated R for the sex and the nudity stuff, which Nolan never does so i'm like great like the one time that like nolan you know it's like i have the kid who wants to see this movie and, and this movie of course is not designed for an eight-year-old to watch at all like narratively and, and you know the intelligence level i mean like i can't imagine an eight-year-old sitting in a theater watching that movie and not being bored i mean like you just you know i mean i saw jfk to bring it to jfk my dad took me to see JFK when I was 11 wow. and, and that was, that was a, and I still remember going, I went with my, my friend, Mike Marcelino and his father. It was yeah. both of our dads took, took us. I don't know why they took us. It was late. It was like at night during the week on a school night, I think even. So it made no sense why we were there. They just took us because I guess they wanted us to know some history or something. That was, that was a mind blowing experience at the age of 11. Um, I definitely passed out at one point, woke up. It was way over my head. I ended, and I've seen it a million times since, of course, but I can still remember being in the theater and I have those early movie memories. And that was a very hard to process film for an 11 year old. So I said to my son, oh, and we can watch it when it's at home. It'll be on digital in the fall. You can watch it. Um, I'll have to 
quickly, you know, fast forward to those quick scenes because it's like the last thing I want to be explaining to my kid right now at eight. I, I've got an eight-year-old who's like going on 16 already. <laughs> so I don't need him to know about the sex stuff yet. If I can hold off a little bit longer, it's like the one thing, you know, that we haven't gotten into. Sure. Um, and, and he's already, you know, he already knows some stuff from some of the movies, but I've been, you know, yeah. I've been quick to, um, no, I can't wait. It's like, he's watched Top Gun a million times, but I've always figured out a way to cut through the sex scene. Sure. I just don't want to deal with that. Right. So one day he's going to watch Top Gun yeah. and that's going to come on. And he's going to be like, what the hell? I've been watching this movie since I was five. I never saw this scene. Where did this scene come from? And I can't you're wait. Always, until he comes Dad, you're, to me. Always a, you're always yes, a you're hold, holding out on me. I can't wait till he comes to me and says, Dad, yeah. this is like, it's so funny. I know when the scene's going to come on. So I always pause the movie or I tell him to go wash his hands or like go grab a snack or go to the bathroom or something. It's like how I was doing it. Because uh, he was really obsessed with Top Gun Maverick um, oh, goodness. Last, last summer. Um, you know, Man, he, that was a good time in the movies, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I saw it five times um, in the theater. My son saw it three times in the theater. Yeah. Um, um, I I haven't had that much fun in a movie theater since. since. Um, uh, and and previously, you know, up to that point, not, not certainly not in a while. Um, I think that, I think that the biggest thing for Top Gun Maverick is that so many things can go wrong when you make a sequel to a film that's 30 years old. Sure. So many things can go that, wrong. That's that's and, if there's if there's a film that's been made in the last couple of years, that's a film that had the potential to to rule like it did or completely suck. Completely. And and it was like it was never gonna be a mid-range thing, right? It was either gonna fail completely because like how could you even dare or yeah. It was going to be unfucking believable. Excuse the French, and yeah. and 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 it totally was. I mean, and 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 I think that one of the, I think that one of the most exciting things yeah. about yeah. that movie is that it reminded the viewer yeah. that sometimes it's just cool to be entertained and not preached at and not thrown some sort of life like life lesson or some sort of you know, the shoehorning into politics or any sort of this, this, you know, need to, um, to capitulate to, I mean, it's like, that was a classic film. It could have been made in 1985. It could have been made in 1995. It could have been made in 2005. If you know what I mean, it just had breathtaking visual effects mm -hmm. and the most stunning aerial shit that we've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and when you, you look know, at and when you look at it in the context of how they filmed the aerials, you know, way back when, when you see some of the behind the scenes shot where they're, you know, shooting, um, you know, uh, rear screen process and all that sort of stuff, um, as opposed to how crews chose to do it with an elaborate camera system and they're actually up there in the planes and all the actors had to go through basic, uh, basic flight school and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's, it was hardcore, but it, it pays off. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, and I, and I, I can't put Joe, um, I, I can't put Joe Kaczynski in the same, uh, league yet as, right. uh, you know, as, um, um, Nolan or, uh, you know, you know, Spielberg or, or, you know, he's, or, or Villeneuve, some of these guys yet, just because he's up and coming, but like, 
he brought a level of of visual quality to that movie that suggests that the next couple of movies that are going to come out from him will make tremendous statements. I mean, he's doing that Bruckheimer produced Formula One movie with Brad Pitt where they're putting the IMAX cameras in the cars. Yeah. So it's going to basically be like a Top Gun Maverick of race cars, which I can only imagine will be ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, and 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 so so to bring it back to the sort of the Barbenheimer, how do you bring back people in mass to movie theaters mm. outside of giving them awesome stuff? You know, I would argue that some of the movies that came out this summer were pretty awesome and they only did middling, you know, or in some cases, you know, poor box office. Um, but how do you bring back people in mass to a theater? You know, Barbie, I, I want to say that there was a Variety article or if it wasn't Variety, it was just a it was just a. I think it was just a survey that had been done hmm. and it was like 25% yeah. of Barbie's tickets sold in America. And I think that that movie's now up to like six and a quarter domestic, right. which is just insane. Yeah. I think a quarter of the people polled said that they had, that was the first time they'd been to the movie since COVID started, oh, yeah. Yeah. which is just yeah. stunning because you had, because you had Top Gun did, you know, over, you know, 725 domestic, 1.5, I think 1.4, 1.5 billion the year before worldwide. And you had Spider-Man make, I think, what, No Way Home, I think, didn't that do in the 800s domestic? So yeah. you had those two monsters come out. Yeah. And yet Barbie, not that it's a bad movie, and I don't say it like Barbie, like it's a bad film, like, yeah. like. Barbie is the one that brings out that 25% of folks who didn't come back to theaters. So yeah. I think that says something too about an underserved market, women, females, right. Um, yeah. uh, historically. And, and my hope is that the success and there's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt that Oppenheimer's box office was helped out through the Barbenheimer phenomenon. There's no there's no question about it. Barbie, I think Barbie was always going to be a, a big hit. I don't think anybody expected Barbie to make Million. close to one and a half billion worldwide. Right, yeah. Um, but with Oppenheimer, I, I mean, when Oppenheimer was first coming out, I, I'm saying to myself, all right, this movie opens to like 35, 40 million domestic, mm -hmm. maybe 50 million because it's Nolan. And he's one of the he's one of the only people where it matters where you I, I'm I'm of the opinion hmm. that there's only one filmmaker where everybody all these movies love to say from the director of I mean like I love it too I've always loved it since I was a kid there's only one name that matters in terms of the general population yeah. when it means from the director of or from so and so hmm. not even Spielberg anymore it is it's not a guarantee anymore. Michael Bay's name, as much as I love him, is not a guarantee anymore. Mm -hmm. um, the only guarantee, Ridley Scott is not a guarantee. As many movies, I love Ridley Scott. Mm -hmm. As many movies as Ridley Scott has made that have been huge hits, he's had huge bombs. Yeah. Um, the only filmmaker consistently mm -hmm. over the last 20 years mm -hmm. is Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. He's defied the odds time and time again with these intelligently constructed you know mm. you know not appeal not not appealing directly to lowest common denominator audiences right like he 
you know, he his movies visually appeal to everyone because they're spectacular. But you can't be a passive uh, you can't be a passive audience member during his films. No. So something like Oppenheimer, yeah, nine hundred and fifteen million dollars. Yeah, it's it's absolutely insane. So yeah. I hope that post strike studios are like, let's get some new original content. Let's let's bet on some new stuff. Let's take a chance on this, that, or the other thing. And let's get back to just making some fun movies. Like let's get back to making the mid budget, you know, courtroom drama or, you know, like the, you know, the, 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 the rom-com even, I mean, like Hollywood abandoned one of its most durable genres. Mm. Um, you know, of course, streaming changed so many things, mm. but there's no reason why studios can't go back to making fun Friday night movies for folks yeah. instead of just concentrating on four Oscar contenders and three or four $250 million movies where yeah. if two of them sink, then you're fucked for the rest of the year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's not rocket scientists to know this shit. That's a reason why the studios were so resilient in the eighties and nineties. They made different films for all different types of people. Yeah. You know, and that that just fell off, in my opinion. The the key word is 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 where you do some writing for variety, isn't it? Yeah, I've been writing for variety for the last just just about eight years, ever since my kid was yeah. born. Yeah. You so know? so yeah, variety. I think you know, as they say, variety is the spice of life. You know, yeah. it, it wouldn't hurt to bring it back to the cinemas. I mean, like you say, we've had uh, we've had well over a decade now of the. Uh, of the what I call the supermarket supermarketization of of movies, where they become uh, you know cookie cutters, uh, you know molds of of each other. Not that that's the first time in history that that's happened. Of course, and I'm all for a Michael. Like, if you're gonna have 400 movies come out a year, I'm totally fine with a Michael Bay movie thrown in there. I'm totally fine with the Marvel movie in there or a, or a, a, a Batman movie. I mean, we'd have a whole other podcast about the disastrous nature of the, of the Warner Brothers and the treatment of, I'm sorry, of the DC, you know, extended universe through Warner Brothers mismanagement. It's hilarious. I, I, it's like everything that they do is wrong and, and just it, you can see it coming a mile away and it's like a car crash and you can't. You can't turn your head. I just I'm blown away and mystified by the, the decisions that have been made on so many upper level management levels. It's crazy. Um, uh, but I'm all for everything. There's 31 flavors. You know, that's been one of the fun things about movies forever is that there always is a little bit of something for everybody. So give me a good superhero film. I mean, and the joke is, is that like the most recent Warner Brothers movie while I was shitting on DC, the Blue Beetle movie didn't deserve to bomb. You know, that was a fun, that was as fun of a superhero origin movie as you're going to get these days. You know, mm -hmm. at least it had personality in it and it had great, really good special effects. It didn't look like it came out of a PlayStation 2, you yeah. know, so I, I'm, I'm, um, but I'm, I am, I, I'm of the opinion that there's always ways to get great movies made and to tell great stories. It just takes the right people to actually figure it out and to care. And it just doesn't seem like the studio executive these days cares. It just sounds like they just care about keeping their job, which of course everybody wants to do, but there's no risk taking. There's, you know, the only company out there taking any risks and putting their own money into stuff seems like it's A24. 
Yes, I mean, definitely. I mean, and and doing, know, some, doing some absolutely exceptional work. Of course. You, you know, know, going out and funding filmmakers who have true vision, leaving them alone and letting them make the movie, and also acquiring films that are independently, you know, produced and giving them the, the, the chance that they deserve. I wish A24 would embrace streaming, the streaming model, a little bit better. I think that they're leaving money on the table with some of their projects. I think that they could be, I think A24 should have launched some sort of streaming app or some sort of streaming platform, which would give you access to their movies, you know, 60 or 90 days after they're out in movie theaters. Um, I think that would just a no brainer because it would open you up to, um, you know, so much more. So um, I see that we've got on our timer, we've got one minute left, but, um, but um, yeah, no, man. I mean, I, honestly, it's, um, it's always a pleasure to talk to somebody like you uh, about movies and about the industry, because, you know, you are, uh, you know, you're in it and you get it. And uh, you know, you've got, you've got the skills to also back up the the desire and the tenacity to keep at it. So um, you know, it's a, it's always fun, man. It's a pleasure to talk about movies, which is a lot of, a lot of, Mate, a lot of, a lot of stuff here. It's been absolutely fantastic, Nick. Everything uh, it's promised to be and more, and we'll uh, we'll certainly make time again. Yeah, come. definitely. We should we should do another one at, at some point soon. This is like a good a good time to to do these for me if it is for you, and and sure. uh, we could certainly you know do 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 another one in in the in the coming weeks or something like that. We'll figure it out. Oh no, look, gonna run out of time. Here comes the explosion. <coughs> oh. <coughs> Nick, Nick, are you okay? Oh, he's gone. But don't worry, listeners. Nick Clement will be back. Everyone, clap your hands. Who wants that? I know it, you know it, we know it. That's why he will be back. The one, the only, Cinema Cinema Union. Union!